Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all. I know it's been a while since I've been here. There's a few, a few new faces and a few familiar faces. I'm just very thankful to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, you may have noticed that today's um, message is not what you were expecting, um, but hopefully we will be able to learn a lot from this one. I've called today's message Risky Business after the 1983 movie with Tom Cruise. And you, re you may remember the famous or infamous dance that he performs with a broom to the song Old Time Rock and Roll. Yes, yes we're that old. Um, the, the movie is about a young man who engages in some questionable behavior while his parents are out of town, which gets him into a whole heap of trouble, deeper and deeper. So as today, as we go deeper into the Word, I hope that instead of deep trouble, we can fully realize the biblical view of forgiveness, the profound implications that it has on our Christian walk, and a couple of things that may or may not surprise you about the concept of forgiveness. So we're reading from... Matthew chapter 18, if you have your Bibles with you, chapter 18, um, verses 21 to 35, and it's called the parable of the unmerciful servant. So I'll read, and you can read from the screen or from your Bibles. Uh, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay that debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my, my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, I think it's safe to say that every person in this room today has experienced some kind of hurt or wounding in your lives, maybe physical, maybe emotional or spiritual. 
How did you find healing for that wound? Did it ever heal? I remember in divinity school, the professors telling us that we had to develop a tough skin if we wanted to be a pastor. Do you remember that? It meaning, meaning they, they meant to say, don't let sharp words or insults or criticism hurt you or define you. And I was surprised at that because I also remember thinking, that's pretty hard to do when we also have to have a soft heart and empathy for people. It was like we had to have two different personalities, and I just couldn't do that. So I had to learn forgiveness, real forgiveness, meaning, excuse me, how forgiveness and God's justice can either work together for healing or how it's possible that we can stand between forgiveness and God's justice and make the situation worse. Excuse me. Let me just explain that, and it's going to take me a few minutes. As we know, some wounds heal quickly, especially if the other party says they're sorry. But what about when they don't say they're sorry? What if you are left to deal with the anguish a betrayal of a spouse, maybe, or a family member? What if there was a promise broken, a covenant smashed to pieces, and your heart itself was just broken? What if you find that you can no longer count on that person who betrayed you? I know that we've all felt that in our lives at some point. Now, I did not have an easy time growing up, but when I think of my own childhood, I can't help but think about this book. It's called A Child Called It by Dave Pelser, the true story of a little boy who was burned, beaten, stabbed, starved, shut out of family life, and betrayed by the one person on earth who should have protected him his mother. When you, if you would like to read that book, I invite you to go to Amazon. There's lots, lots there to choose from. You can, either, you can also order it on uh, Kindle. Um, but when I think about Dave Pelser's life, my problems didn't seem quite so bad. I forgave my parents years ago. But I think it would have been understandable for Dave Pelser to grow up hating his mother and wanting revenge. And I think we all could have understood that. But that's not how it all turned out, thankfully. I think of this little boy, and I can hardly imagine how he even survived, let alone find the ability to forgive his family for all that happened to him. We all carry wounds inside of us, some from long ago, some from just yesterday, maybe. Some of us have never experienced one big, huge hurt, just a whole lot of smaller ones. But collectively, those hurt just as much. All those small hurts can add up to a whole lot of bondage. We spend a lot of energy 
either covering up our wounds or dwelling on them. Either way, it's not good. Because while we are expending so much energy on hurt, unforgiveness, bitterness, or wanting revenge, we have little energy left over for serving the Lord in the way that He deserves. For a lot of people, when they get hurt, it's really hard to see past it. We get tunnel vision. But remember the story in Genesis what Joseph said to his brothers when they found him in Egypt after a long, long time. He said to them, You intended to harm me, but God used it for my good and for the saving of many others. Dave Pelser, like Joseph, did not seek revenge on his family. He forgave the ones who did him wrong. And he allowed the Lord to use what happened to him for his good and for the good of many others through the writing of his books and his career in public speaking. Joseph not only forgave his family, he didn't even judge them. And that is what our Christian journey to the image of Christ is all about. That's what it, what it, what it hangs upon. Joseph knew that justice was only God's prerogative. I want to read uh, from Proverbs 29, 26. Many seek an aud audience with a ruler, but it is from the Lord that one gets justice. Think about a time when you judged someone harshly. How did it all turn out? Was, was it a nice thing? Did people enjoy being judged? What do you think God thinks about us judging each other? And so, why is it God's job to judge people? I think it's simply because we can't handle it. We're not equipped to deal with it. We were never meant to do that, and we are not holy enough to do it properly. Amen? Amen. Yeah, or fairly. As you may recall, Joseph's brothers were jealous of the spoiled little brother. He was the youngest brother. He got all the attention from their father, so they made a decision. They were going to throw the little pipsqueak into a pit and get rid of him. Have you ever been in a pit? I'm not talking about a physical hole in the ground, but it's a similar place where many of us live in our own our very own custom-made slimy pit. Years ago, I lived in a pit of unforgiveness for all the things that happened to me as a child. And that pit was never a good place to live. And I am thankful that I no longer call it home. Many times we don't even recognize that we're in a pit because we've grown so accustomed to it. Amen? We put pictures on the walls and nice designer carpets on the floors, and we spend all our time trying to fix up, fix up this, this pit and make, a, make the best out of a bad situation. Are you familiar with Beth Moore? Beth Moore writes about how to recognize whether you're in a pit or not. She says, 
You live in a pit when you feel stuck. You feel trapped, and you feel you only have two options. Misbehave to get some attention, or lie down and die in the bed that you think you've made. Back a few years, I remember clam digging with my family during happier times, and I remember always getting my boots stuck in the mud. Eventually, I would get left behind and started yelling for help and straining and pulling and crying. And usually, what my what happened? My parents had to come back and pull me out. But most of the time, my parent my boots remained stuck in the mud. The more I had struggled, the more stuck I had become. In a pit, there is only one guarantee: it gets deeper, and you get more stuck unless you get rescued. And getting into a pit is not always your fault, or the result of sin in your life. Joseph had not deserved to get thrown into a pit. Dave Pelser did nothing to deserve torture at the hands of his mother. So don't simply think that you deserve whatever you get. I used to think that. Don't just let the pit suck you into its abyss. It's the devil that tries to destroy your life. That's his job, and you get to, you you have to take a spiritual stand against him. Ephesians chapter six has lots of instructions of about how to do spiritual warfare. I would invite you to go to go there today, and remind you that we have to put our armor on and take up our weapons every day. Amen. Beth Moore says of the pit, "He may throw you in there, but he can't make you stay." Let's say that together. He may throw you in there, but he can't make you stay. Amen. If you haven't already noticed, pits have no windows. It's pretty dark in there. When we live in the dark, our vision gets pretty bad. When we lose our vision, we also lose the childlikeness that Jesus said the mystery of God would be revealed to. When we allow ourselves to live in a pit, we lose our vision, and our childlike dreams become foolishness. When we can't see the light, we tend to think that we have nowhere to go. We start to lose hope. Thankfully, we can look up. To our rescuer, to the hope which Jesus Christ has called us. Today we we read part of Ephesians right up to verse seventeen, and I'd like to to read that for you,、uh, verse eighteen. Now I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which He had called you, the rich, riches of His glorious inheritance in His whole, holy people. It's Christ who enables us to forgive, and get out of that pit, and rely on the promises of God instead of accepting the darkness of the pit. So let's be enlightened, because Jesus willingly went into the pit instead of us. There remains no reason why we would ever want to go there or need to go there. Jesus took all of our sins, 
Most of us know that. He took, also, he took the sins of the ones who hurt you onto himself and took the punishment that we all deserved and set us free from the resulting guilt and condemnation for anyone who accepts his gospel. That means that we cannot decide that anyone who hurt us would not deserve to be forgiven if Jesus himself forgave them. Including people who have yet to accept his gospel. Because we don't know who is, who will, and who won't. Right? So, Moving on, one of the promises of God to you is that he will never leave you or forsake you. Many people, even those who have experienced salvation, just can't seem to get past the feeling that God will turn his back on us if we mess up. Anyone here? I know you won't admit it, but I used to think that. Yes, thank you. Someone told me this week, or last week, um, during the baptism on the lake, that many people reject salvation and baptism because they think they don't deserve it. Guess what, folks? None of us deserve it. It's because of Jesus that we get to do that. It's distorted thinking. It, it's thinking that comes from the world. It, comes, it, it, it originates from the concept of revenge. Human beings invented revenge. It says, you hurt me, I'll hurt you back. Our society says, you owe, you pay. Therefore, we tend to think that God must follow the same rules, right? Wrong. He doesn't. But revenge is a big theme in our world. When you think about it, how many books and movies were written about getting even? How many shows on TV, like soap operas, and uh, our best, our favorite show of the 80s, again, the 80s, Dallas. Do you remember Dallas? It wasn't so much about the big hair and the shoulder pads. It was about getting sweet revenge on everybody, except themselves, of course. In prison... You don't get forgiven, but you pay your debt to society, and then society begrudgingly says, okay, you can go, but we'll never trust you again. Even professing Christians say, why should I forgive? Because we want justice. But demanding justice is risky business. And so why, we ask, well, let's unpack that statement. Excuse me. Obviously, I haven't preached for a while. Simply put, the Lord's justice is perfect. Ours is sinful. When we look at another person and refuse to forgive, we are passing our own justice and ignoring God's. That's what Jesus was getting at in his parable. When we refuse to forgive, we are passing judgment and bringing an accusation against another person. The only accuser we know is who? 
Satan, the devil. Therefore, when we accuse, we are effectively siding with the devil and demanding the same rights as the devil. Yes, the devil has rights, and I'll get to that in a minute. But obviously, we don't want to do that, right? I hope not anyway. But think for a moment about God's perfect justice. Because God is perfectly holy and just. He will judge everyone by the same rules. If we agree with Scripture that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory or the character of God then how could we possibly be qualified to judge anyone for anything? Only God qualifies. That is why he sent Jesus Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us in our place to fulfill the just and legal requirements of the wrath of God. He did that because of his mercy. Think about when we demand justice. It's the same thing as telling God that Christ's sacrifice was not good enough. Wow. When we demand justice, we forego mercy, just like the unforgiving servant. And there's a very important lesson in the last line of that parable where Jesus said, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. He meant it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2 says, Do not judge. Matthew 7, you got that one? No? There it is. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For the same way as you judge others, you too will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And Jesus is saying here, it's <clears throat> if we demand repayment for wrongs done to us, then we will be dealt with according to our own prescription. Demanding justice is the, is the risky business that we do not want to take a chance on. Understanding the laws of sowing and reaping is the major key to finding freedom from hurts, understanding forgiveness, and getting our way or clawing our way out of that pit. Again, I want to repeat, God will not give me mercy for my sins if I demand justice for someone else's. Are we getting it? Are we getting it? Yep, thank you. And here's the surprising part. I can't have it both ways. When I want people to get what they deserve, I get what I deserve. Uh-oh. The perfect justice of God works equally for everyone. That is the biblical principle that I want you to understand. When I demand that, the result is that the devil can get a foothold on my life. That is his legal right that I was getting at before. That's why the world is such a mess. 
And that's why the Bible calls him, the devil, the prince of the world. Because he runs the world. But, and here's the good news. If I live in grace and mercy, what happens? Satan cannot follow me there. He has what? No rights there. None. Are we happy about that? Yes, thank you. The unforgiving servant wanted mercy for himself, but justice in his dealings with others. And so the laws of sowing and reaping came into effect. As Christians, we are called to be holy. We are called to be the opposite of the rest of the world. Yeah, that's not easy. But we have the Holy Spirit to help us and guide us. Amen? And we need to pray for mercy to triumph over justice all the time. And we need to lay all the injustices, all the hurts that ever happened to us, all the trash, all the garbage in our lives that people have caused us at the foot of the cross and choose to forgive because of the choice that Jesus Christ made on our behalf. Now, God's justice will be done, and it must be honored, but it's not our job to do it. Only God is qualified to deliver it. And finally, we come to forgiveness. Forgiveness is another concept which has been distorted by the world. Forgiveness doesn't mean excusing the one who hurt us and letting them get away with it. People are still going to be held accountable by society, and that is good. Otherwise, we'd have anarchy. Excuse, or, uh, forgiveness is not excusing. Excusing comes when we realize there's a reason why people do what they do. Forgiveness comes when there is no good reason. It just means that we leave the justice part to God and the forgiveness part will set us free from all that bitterness and hate. Forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. Forgetting is having a bad memory, like when my husband forgets his keys on a daily basis or I, or I forget where I left my glasses. Stuff like that, yeah, is forgetting. But only, for, only God actually forgets. It's, it's, the word means he remembers no more, only because our sins have been made irrelevant to him through Jesus. And forgiveness is not the same as reconciling. It doesn't mean that we have to reunite with someone who has maybe sexually abused us or tortured us or beat us up mentally or physically. Forgiveness can take place in the heart of one person and not the other and can be granted whether the other person knows it or not or even asks for it or says they are sorry or even cares. It is possible to forgive someone of a terrible crime 20 years after they've already died because forgiveness does not require reconciliation. 
Different family members can come from the same slimy pit of loneliness and bitterness and violence and fear. While some are able to claw their way out with God's help, others are still in there, mired in, in bitterness, demanding justice, wanting revenge. I don't know about you, but I still have family members that are in that pit. Anyone else? Yes. But justice, on the other hand, oops, sorry, wanting revenge. But vengeance does not heal. It only hurts more. Getting even is something that never happens because the scale is never balanced in human terms. Justice, on the other hand, does balance things if it comes from the Lord. When we forgive, we, we set ourselves free from the bondage of frustration and bitterness. If we hold on to the hurt, guess what? It keeps us in bondage, not the other person. It keeps our hearts cold, not the other person. It keeps us in the pit, not the other person. When we decide to forgive and seek mercy for others instead of human justice we may find ourselves discovering the humanity of the one who hurt us or the circumstances around, surrounding the event. And that opens us up to possible, possible compassion and true healing. When we, we think of people like Corey Ten Boom, who forgave the guards at the German concentration camp, we think of regular folks that we've maybe read about or seen on TV who forgave the one who murdered their child. If they can do it, we can do it with God's help. When we stop thinking or saying bad things about someone who hurt us and instead bless them and pray for them, then we truly hope, and we truly hope, that they have made peace with God, truly hope that in our hearts, then we realize and we know that the, the Lord has done a supernatural work in our own hearts. My dad had a terrible, terrible upbringing in the 1930s. He told us many disturbing stories and his father was very mean and cruel. I truly wish that my father had had a better life. I prayed for years that God would do a wonderful work in his heart. It took a long time. Eventually, the Lord did. And just before he passed away, my father found peace with God. And sometimes, you know, Reconciliation can happen. Sometimes it happens between people, and sometimes between God and people. And then it's scriptural, and it's good. The ministry of reconciliation is, after all, what we are called to. It's never too late. Stony hearts can be melted. So as we close today, if you remember nothing of this message, I would love for you to remember these three things. Vengeance is a slimy pit. Forgiveness sets you free. 
Justice is God's alone. Can we say these three, three things together? Vengeance is a slimy pit. Forgiveness sets you free. Justice is God's alone. So now, if you want to be freed from the bondage of unforgiveness and be healed, please read this with me. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is enough for me. I surrender my rights to him. I now give the gift of forgiveness to those who have wronged me. I now give them a gift they don't deserve, the same gift that my Heavenly Father gave me. I forgive in Jesus' name. Thank you. You have made a very important step in your spiritual journey. I have hope that people in the pit can claw their way out. Prison doors can be blasted away. It's ours to choose. Vengeance or mercy. Bondage or freedom. Bitterness or healing. Life or death. Choose to forgive and tell the devil to go to hell. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we pray by your spirit that we are able to have mercy for all of us who do, all people who do us wrong, and us too, Lord, whether we mean to or not, whether they mean to or not. We ask for your help to walk in grace and love. We ask for the courage to pursue healing and work through our bondages. Help us forgive others so that we might be free from the bondages of this world and therefore be ministers of reconciliation, the people that you want us to be. In your name we pray, amen.